Hey guys, I'm going to ask you to whip out your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians. So we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, and now I, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. My name's James. I'm the senior pastor here at Turngabi Baptist Church. And it's a joy for me this morning to be um, opening up God's Word for us. So grab your Bibles. You're going to need it in front of you. We're going to be looking at the book of Galatians over the next term. Um, I'm excited. and I hope you are excited as well as we come to, really, it's a great book. It transferred the life of, uh, of Luther. It, it's affected many people through the centuries because of this pure gospel of getting back to what the gospel is. And so my prayer today is that we will uh, see the freedom that we have in Christ and that we won't slip in to religion. So let's pray um, as we come to God's word now. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles at the back and we'd love you to have one. It's our gift to you. So go and grab one if you'd like one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to just come now and, and ask you that you will work in us. Lord, may your spirit... Open our eyes to this glorious message, the message of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, may, it open our, may you open our eyes to really see it for what it is so that we don't drift, that we don't shift, that we don't subtly move on from it into something that has no hope at all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was 32, um, I had this epiphany, I had this moment in life where I thought, you know what, it's time to join a gym. And so at the, at the country town of Forbes, we were living in there, was a gym. And how amazing is this that in a country town, there's a gym that's open for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I thought, wow, this is exciting. So I thought, why don't I join this gym? Because I, I, I discovered a couple of years before this, this thing called running, this pure thing called running where you run outside, you're in God's creation, you get the air in, and there's something beautiful about running outside. It's beautiful, it's pure. But I had this moment where I thought, you know what, it might be good to join a gym. Everyone's joining a gym. And, and it excited me. It was, it, it was attractive for a couple of reasons. We had young family with young boys, and so it meant you could go to the gym at 10 p.m. at night, you can go at 5 in the morning, you can just sort of cater to fit your world. 
And it looked good. It looked like you performed well by going to a gym. And so I joined this gym and you'd go down and do some weights, but I would hop on that thing called the treadmill. You'd hop on there for half an hour, for 40 minutes, and you stand up and you take a step forward and there's this mat that you do bomp, bomp. And, and for 40 minutes, you'd look at yourself in the mirror as you'd run along, step by step. And at the end of it, you'd, you'd, you'd hop down off this treadmill and it, was ex- it, it felt good. Even though you're covered in sweat, you're exhausted. But yet something that frustrated me about running on a treadmill was this. It felt good, but it never got you anywhere. You know, you're on a treadmill, it feels like you're getting somewhere. You feel like you're putting a performance in and it's step by step. It felt good, but it never got me anywhere. That's what I felt. And I wonder, do we sometimes feel the same about spiritual performance? Are we on a spiritual performance treadmill where it, it, it feels good? It looks like this is what you should do to perform in the eyes of God. And yet you, you sort of hop off it and you think, man, I just feel like I've got nowhere today. It can feel good, can't it? Spiritual performance of reading your Bible, praying and doing all these good things and wonderful morals and ethics. Or you can do all these. It feels good, but then it, it gets you nowhere. Deep inside of all of us, I'm convinced that all of us in some form want to perform. We have this nature in us that we want to achieve, we want to get somewhere. And so when it comes to the spiritual things of of this world, we desire to perform. Sure, we have to do more and more things to be, find the favour of God. But even in our families, don't we? We often perform in front of our kids. We, we want our kids, they want to perform in front of their parents. They perform in front of coaches and teachers trying to achieve something in life. And then that comes in. And as a church, we can often feel about spiritual performance as a, something that's good for us because we've achieved something. But spiritual performance feels good, but it gets nowhere. Because there's no hope in it because see Paul's he's he's writing to these churches in Galatia we come into this book that was probably written around 48 to 49 AD in the first century Paul's probably a middle-aged man and he writes to these churches in, in I suppose you could say modern day Turkey He's writing these churches that previously, you can go and read about this in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14 where previously Paul turned up he preached the pure gospel People were saved, churches were planted, and the church grew. But now he's writing to these churches because something's happened. This pure gospel that they received of the Lord Jesus Christ, this message, it's been attacked. There's these agitators, these false teachers who are coming in and saying, Jesus plus performance. It's, they're coming in and saying, it's, Jesus saves you, but actually you need to be circumcised. You need to do these. You need to keep this. It's Jesus plus things to be saved. That's what it really means. Now, you might be here today and you're not a Christian, maybe. You're not a Christian. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're, you're searching. And you're thinking, yeah, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good moral teacher. He had great ethics. And you ponder, yeah, but isn't being a Christian following Jesus and being like him? See, our world will say, well, isn't, isn't a Christian someone who 
follows the example of Jesus and ensures that they follow that example. That you have to live like Jesus. Now there's a huge problem with that because there's no hope in that. That's actually not Christianity, that's religion. Because not one of us in this room can live up to Jesus. Not one of us can do it. See, religion feels good, but it gets us nowhere. There is no other gospel. And so what Paul's going to do in Galatians, is he's going to correct. He's going to challenge these false teachers. He's going to challenge our conception of the gospel, of what it is. He's going to correct it because these false teachers are coming, up, coming in and they are leading people astray. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to see that this gospel of Jesus Christ is actually freeing. So these agitators were taking people back to law and slavery where he said, no, no, it actually frees you. You must do these things. And Paul says, no, actually, this is what the gospel is. Because there is no other gospel Galatians chapter 1 is going to tell us. So today we're going to see that there is no other gospel. And he corrects their thinking very quickly. We can see in verse 3 that there's an attack on the gospel because in verse 3 and 4 he succinctly and quickly gives us a rehash and a refresh on what the gospel message is. The gospel is a message. The gospel is words. The gospel isn't a message about you and what you can do. It's a message about what has already been done in Jesus. So the gospel isn't good advice. Here's 10 steps. It's not good advice. It's a message of a victory that took place in the first century through the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. See, in the ancient world, the word gospel, it was good news. In the ancient world, when a king or an emperor would win the victorious battle for his country, the king would send a messenger back to the city and to the villages with a message of good news of the victory the king has won. See, the gospel is a message of words, of a great victory that took place in the first century. Let's have a look. Look at verse 3. Let's have a look at this gospel. Grace and peace to you from God. Now that word peace, it's peace with God. It's, but have you noticed where it comes from? This peace comes from God. Not from you. Not from anything we have done. This peace to you comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only do we have peace, but the reason we have peace is because of this word grace. Because of God's grace. Grace is undeserved. It's unmerited favour. That's what grace means. It means there is nothing inside of any of us that merits God's favour. And yet God has shown us grace and peace from him. It's his will. Let's have a look there at verse 4. Who gave himself. Jesus gave himself for our sins. That who gave himself, it's a substitute. He was our substitute for our sins. To rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God according to the will of our God and Father. Have you noticed who does this and who it's according to? It's according to God. None of us have done this message. This is the will of God. It's from God. 
Therefore, there is no other, there is nothing else that should happen except the glory needs to go to him. Verse 5. Now, he's, he's rescued us from this evil age. When, when, when Jesus was crucified and resurrected, a new era came in. We were part of the evil age, but we have been rescued through Jesus and brought into a new one. We've been brought into a new kingdom. And, and as what we might use, this language of the now, not yet. See, Christ has brought us out of that and we live in this now, but yet there's also this yet to come. There's a consummation of this kingdom that is yet to come. The good news is that you've been rescued from this age. Therefore, there's a, there's a logic here for Paul and the rest of the book. When we slip into religion and legalism, guess what we're going back to? The evil age. Buddha, Muhammad and Gandhi were great teachers. But they never rescued anyone. So you see the difference, Jesus? Oh yes, Jesus is a great teacher, but he, he's a rescuer. Did you see that? He, he, he rescues. Why? Because we are helplessly lost and need of rescue. That's why Jesus came. We need to be rescued from our sin. We need to be rescued from our rebellion. We can't do anything with it, but he came to rescue us. In 2008, I went on a road trip with some of my friends um, who I'd grown up with, and so we were heading to the Gold Coast. But we stopped off at, um, at Newcastle. I think it's Nobby's Beach at Newcastle, is it? I think it's like, it's like this, it's a great surfing beach. So we thought, well, hey, why don't we go and hit up the greatest surfing beach at Newcastle? And so we headed off to the beach, all us blokes. It was a dreary day. It was overcast and the surf was really great. It was smashing you. You know, you get sucked out and sucked back in and we were having a ball. And so we hopped out of the surf that day and we looked out and, and we hadn't really realised that one of our friends with us wasn't really a swimmer. He didn't tell us that he really couldn't swim. And so we're there with our towels getting warm and guess where our friend is? He is out past the break and he's in major trouble. And so what do us as blokes do? We yell out, hey, you need to swim back. Have you ever thought about someone who can't swim and you tell them you just need to swim? So we laid the rule book down, didn't we? This is how you swim. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so we're yelling out to him, hey, you need to just get back. You need to get back. Do this, do that. Now, it was hopeless. It was a waste of time. Because we could never save him. He could never save himself. But thank goodness there was a lifesaver on board that day who went out and rescued him. We, we sat on the sidelines barking orders saying, here's what you must do. But that, life, that lifeguard saved this man's life that day. Now, you'd think you'd learn the lesson, wouldn't you, from that? We had a second chance on that trip where the same thing happened again. And the lifesaver saved him. But we need a rescuer. Jesus rescues through his work on the cross. See, the gospel is a message from start to finish about what Christ has done. That's why Jesus cries from the cross, it is finished. And yet, how many times do we, 2,000 years later, how often do we get on that treadmill of spiritual performance and think that we can pay God back, that we can pay for our sin? And yet it was paid for at the cross. Now, if you're in Jesus today, 
Have you realized that before you were even born, before you could even sin, Jesus has paid for every single one of your sins, past, present and future at the cross. And yet, how naive are we to think that we can earn the favor of God by getting on that spiritual treadmill and pay for the sin twice? So the gospel is a message of what Christ has done at the cross. It's important, isn't it? So words are important. And what's, why is it so important? Because there is no other gospel. There is no other good news in this world. There is only one hope, and that's Jesus. So here we go. We're going to do two things this morning. I'm going to ask two questions. Well, why is this a problem? Sorry, what is the problem? Sorry, first, I'm going to ask the question, what is the problem? And then I'm going to show you why that's a problem in two ways from this text. Okay, so what is the problem? Well, false teachers are coming in and what's happening here we see in verses 3 to 4 is they're turning to another gospel. That's our first point. What is the problem? They're turning to another gospel. So therefore, you're turning to another gospel which we're going to see is no other gospel at all. There's no hope. They're turning from Jesus plus nothing to now Jesus plus I need to do a few more things on the side to keep Jesus happy. And that's no gospel at all. So, in fact, if you move towards one grain, one gram of works or religion to say that this is how you must be saved or this is how you stay in the Christian life, in fact, it's terrible news then. It's no, other go- it's no gospel now. Have a look at verse 6. And I want you to notice in this book of Galatians that, that Paul's passionate here. He's emotional, but he's emotional about the right things. Do we get passionate about the pure gospel? Sometimes I think we get pure, we get passionate about the wrong things that are outside of the gospel. So he's passionate. Have a look at verse 6. I am. Now, what's surprising here is that Paul starts most of his other letters with a bit more thanksgiving and praise, but here in verse 6, he's just like, I'm straight to it. I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And when you move from the grace of Christ, when you move to the works, it's no longer grace. And you are turning to a different gospel. They're turned to a different gospel. It's pretty full on. But here's what it means. Um, if, if you haven't noticed, I think it's next weekend, isn't it? It's, it's a federal election. We've got an election coming up. We've got to vote a new prime minister. And you've got, you know, you've got the different parties. But someone I'm, I'm always intrigued about is Bob Catter. He's up on the, you know, Bob Catter is the member for Kennedy up in far north Queensland. He's just, he's got charisma. Like, um, and so, you know, he's, he's an intriguing bloke. But you know what Bob Catter's, well, Bob Catter in 2001, he was, up till this point in 2001, Bob Catter, through and through, was the National Party. Through and through, his allegiance was to the National Party. But in 2001, he turned. He turned his allegiance to the independents. He turned. His allegiance was now no longer with the National Party, but now his allegiance was elsewhere. See, he was turning to transfer one's allegiance. And here, the, the, the Galatian church, as you move on from the gospel, you're turning your allegiance from Jesus to something else. So you're turning from Jesus, you're turning from grace, you're turning from gospel to spiritual performance. 
But what's so bad about that? Well, look at verse 7. It's, it's not actually good news now. It's actually bad news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It's not a good thing. See, false doctrine is being presented by these false teachers. Later on, we're going to see that these false teachers, these agitators, they're coming in and saying, it's Jesus, yes, but you need to get circumcised to be saved. Right, yes, you were saved by this gospel to begin with, but you know, right, right now, though, you need to go back to the purity laws, the cleansing laws. You need to go back to the Mosaic law. And we're going to see that as the weeks go by. And actually, in fact, they're putting them back into slavery. These agitators are saying, no, 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 go back and do these things. Get circumcised. And so what they do is they change the gospel of grace to a gospel of spiritual performance, which in fact is no gospel at all. In fact, it's actually terrible news for all of us. Jesus plus nothing is everything. But Jesus plus something actually leads to nothing. Now, I've noticed that we, as we walk through the doors here at Toon Gabby Baptist Church, we're not asking you to get circumcised. We're not asking you to go back to the purity laws as such. We're not saying here is a mosaic law. Here's what you must live by, right? We, we don't do that. But spiritual performance is subtle. We may not tell people you need to be circumcised. You may not need to follow the purity laws, but I, I, I wonder if there's things about our culture that as new people come in, they feel the pressure that they need to conform to this way of marriage. Conform and feel the pressure of, of maybe I'm a, I'm, I'm a mum, but I'm working, but other mums aren't. And, they feel, and all of a sudden they start to think, hang on, am I, is, is it to be a follower of Jesus, I mean, I have to be like that? See, legalism is working in your own strength and regulations and rules to earn the favor of God. So this is what legalism is, right? It's working in your own strength and power and your rules to earn favor with God. Now, how do you know when it comes to legalism? Now, because it's good to, to, to walk in the steps of God and his ethics. Now, and we're going to see that, right? You might be asking that question, well, what about God's ethics? Well, it's going to get answered later on in this series. But for now, how do you know when it comes to legalism? It's a hard one. How do you know when you're getting legalistic? Ask yourself, do I find spiritual performance pleasure do I find spiritual performance pleasure in that task? Make sense? Are you, finding, are you finding pleasure in that spiritual discipline rather than finding pleasure in Jesus? See the difference? The shift from the pure gospel is to no gospel is always subtle and slow. And it, and it doesn't just happen like that. It happens over time. See, spiritual performance finds pleasure in your performance. But the spiritual life finds pleasure in Jesus. See, churches can drift. They can drift. We can drift when we start to concentrate 
on here are the 10 points for the successful life. Here's the five key things you must do to have the great marriage. Here is the the four things you must do to raise your kids really well. As good as those things may be, they are subtle shifts. And if we start to concentrate on that, that's not the gospel. The gospel saves and we live in the gospel every day. But that's the problem with spiritual performance. It feels good, doesn't it? It feels good, but it gets nowhere. It can feel good to stand up for pro-life, as good as it is. It can feel good that you go, well, obviously I'm, I'm earning the favour of God. It can feel good to look at other Christians and go, man, the way I live and do things is so different to them. I'm, surely I'm a better Christian and I've earned God's favour more. It, it can feel good to have these spiritual disciplines and, and you know your theology back to front. You can know the Bible back to front. You can know your views on end times. You can know your views on creation. You can be so over those things and you feel good about it that you've completely missed the gospel. Because Satan can make anything feel good. But the beauty and the joy and the grace of the good news of Jesus says your pleasure is not found in anything you have achieved, but it's found in But your pleasure is solely found in Christ alone who has achieved everything and achieved it all. And so here's a question. Are you finding pleasure in Christ or is there some pleasure in spiritual performance? Because it's a question that probes my heart. Do you find spiritual pleasure in turning up four out of four Sundays? You're great at praying so it makes you smile. Maybe you're always serving behind the scenes and so you feel like obviously God loves you more. Maybe you're the person that everyone goes to and, and you make them happy and, and it's a delight and yet it, it makes you feel good. See, they're turning to another gospel. Now we're not, yeah, we're not forcing circumcision. But I wonder what it is that we find our spiritual pleasure, what do we find pleasure in as we spiritually perform? Now, a couple of years ago, our family got hold of essential oils. I don't know whether you know what essential oils are, but my wife got hold of essential oils. Going to, you know, so essential oils, it's these oils. It sort of takes you back to the ancient world where oils were used to medicate. Right? So different oils were used for this and that. And so essential oils are these little bottles that they extract the oil out of like limes and lemons, out of rosemary. Like you can buy thousands of these essential oils. They're incredible. And so in our house, we have these little diffusers and you put one drop in the water and your house smells beautiful. So they're, they're like essential oils. Now, now I, like soda, I like sparkling water, but it's got to have lime in it. You know, I like that Mount Franklin sparkling water with lime or raspberry. And my beautiful wife worked out because we've got a soda stream. You can get a soda stream bottle, fill it up with water, make it sparkling water, and you can get the lime and put one drop of essential oil in the soda stream. And it tastes like Mountain Franklin lime sparkling water. Isn't that interesting? One drop contaminates. It, it, it infuses through the whole lot. It changes it. And you know what that soda bottle feels like for the next week, even after it's been emptied? You get that hint of lime. It stays there. See, one drop stains it. You take one drop of works and you change the gospel. One drop. It happens over time. It's subtle. It's, it, it doesn't take long. 
I, um, I found this really <laughs> intriguing. Ray Ortland is a pastor in America. And he says, he's talking about the American church. He said, imagine an evangelical gospel-centered church. He said, imagine if you removed the gospel from the church, what would you have? You'd have a church standing up for pro-life. You'd have a church that's all about relationships. You'd have a church that's, that's all about making sure we get back to our Christian roots. Isn't that so subtle, isn't it? That if we just pull the, the gospel out of the church, we can still have all those things. It's subtle. They're turning to another gospel. Okay. So the moment you turn from this message and you, you change the words, you change the gospel. What's the problem? They're turning to another gospel. But here we go. Here's two things to think about. Why this matters. There's plenty of reasons why this matters, but here's two reasons why this is a problem when you turn to another gospel. Here's the first one. The first problem is people's lives are at stake. You might go, well, what's the big deal about a few words? Do we really have to get the gospel right? Can I tell you, it's very serious stuff to mess with the gospel. Because these words are not man's words. Did you notice that in verse 1? See, these are not words of man. They're not our words. Notice in verse 1, Paul's very clear. Paul is an apostle. He's a sent one. But he's not sent by people. He's not sent by man. See, we as a church, guess what we do? We send people onto the mission field. They're sent from us. But here, Paul, he is sent by God. Therefore, his message is not from us. His message is from God. And we have no right to change that message. That's why we cannot change it. Paul knows that the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so if we change it, we change that whole message. It's not some trivial little message that we're, we're moving around. And Paul knows it's no trivial message that he is willing to throw himself under the bus and be eternally condemned if he would change a word of it. Did you see that in verse 8? Let me be under God's curse if I change this message. See, what Paul is saying, he's saying, if I'm preaching a different gospel than what you first received, throw me under the bus. Don't listen to me. See verse 7, sorry, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I'm going to say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So even, even if a Hollywood angel this week in their gold and in their halo and, and they're buzzing around playing the harp. If a, if a Hollywood angel turns up on your doorstep this week and gives you a different message, Paul says, may they be eternally condemned. To change the gospel, as one commentator says, is to play with eternal life and death. Because there is really a real reality of heaven and hell. The stakes are way higher than getting the stakes are way higher than getting your right prime minister into politics next week and creating the country that you want. The stakes are way higher than that. 
It's a matter of the gospel. Because there is no other way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We can be well-meaning, but misleading. Now, you know, you can raise kids and you have expectations and things for them. And, and we can get our kids to be moral, right? We can teach them good ethics. We can teach them morality. And you know what morality and ethics are going to do? It's going to keep our kids out of jail. It's going to you know, mean they're going to have hopefully a good schooling. If they have good morals and ethics, they'll go through school well. They'll get a good job well. We can raise our kids to marry the, the son-in-law or the daughter that we so desire for them so that their life goes well and they earn good money. We can have these morals and these ethics that, that, so that their life goes well for them. Now, morality will, will do well in this world, won't it? It'll get you somewhere. But morality will not keep your kids out of hell. It will not keep them out of hell. The gospel can. So the centrality of the gospel needs to be at the center of every ministry we have. We can teach our kids how to memorize scripture. We can teach them the 66 books of the Bible in order and that can be really good for them because we're, we're discipling them. We can have the best youth group where it's fun and, and enjoyable and we teach them godly ethics so they hopefully don't get pregnant. We can be a church that has incredible generosity. We can be a church that has an incredible ministry where people have great marriages. But here's the reality. If none of that is grounded in the centrality of the gospel, of a gospel-driven, centered life, may we be forever eternally condemned, says Paul. And it affects all of us in this room, legalism and religion. We, we tend towards things, don't we? Now, some of you in this room will be more like, well, for this country, we need better ethics, we need better morality, we need to get the right person in, in parliament, we need to make sure our kids are living like this, we live these morally good lives, right? So some of you will be like this. And so that's, that's our hope for this country. Right, that's, that's one view of many of you in this room. We all tend towards one. I'm going to show you two things. We, we'll either tend towards going, here's what's going to be really good for us. But then you've got on the other side, those of you who might say, well, it's not really about that. It's actually about tolerance and love. We need to love people. We need to be tolerant with people. That's our hope for this world. So you see, we have hope for our world in two ways. It's either religion and doing all these things, or our other hope for this world is tolerance and love and compassion and forgiveness. But have you realized that even tolerance and love is still religion? Because you can never be tolerant enough. Have you ever made it being tolerant enough? Have you ever loved enough? Have you ever forgiven enough? Because see, the hope for our, this world is, is not in this world. The hope for this world is in Jesus. The hope of the gospel. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And you're thinking, yeah, oh, I'm on that treadmill that's just, I just don't know where I'm at. 
I feel like I've got to earn this for God. I've got to earn this favor from him. And you think, well, how do I get off this treadmill? It's to rest in Jesus. See, the gospel is a message. You see, it's a message of a victory that took place, that through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, your sins can be paid for. You can be forgiven. And his righteousness can be given to you. And so what do you have to do? You do nothing. See, to receive this message, it's to simply believe the message and to turn your allegiance from one to Christ. Have you believed? It's to believe. Okay. So why is it a problem? Well, it's a, it's a serious problem because it, it's a serious problem because people's lives are at stake. But here it is. Here's the final thing. You know why it's an even greater problem? Because the glory of Jesus is at stake when we change the gospel. We all have this sort of this tendency to, let's be real, we, we all have this tendency to go, I want the glory and the honour and the fame to come to us. We, we, we develop habits in conversations, we develop things in sport, we develop things wherever it is in life, wherever you find yourself. We develop things that we want to bring the glory and the honour to ourselves. And the false gospels always glorify you and me. That's the hint. That, that tells you. And I think that's really what Paul's getting at in verse 10. That the moment you start to please people, there's a shift in the glory. Or another way to put it, if Paul was to change the gospel message, he would now be making people the hero of the story. See, changing the gospel message means we become the hero. And now it becomes religion about what you do. The moment we start to spiritually perform, and we just have that little bit of a pat on the back, in those moments we strip Jesus of what, him, what he's done. He's the hero, right? That's what it means, Jesus is the hero. See, in 2008, when our friend was out in the surf, and we yelled out, hey, here's what you must do to get salvation. But this man went out and saved him. Now, were we the hero of the day? No. Was my friend who was out in the ocean, who was helplessly lost and in need of help, was he the hero? No. The lifesaver was the hero. And see, Jesus is the hero. The fame and the glory needs to go to him. That's important. The glory goes to Jesus. And the moment we change that gospel message... We strip Jesus of his glory. It's easy to give ourselves a pat on the back. I find it. It is easy just to go, oh man, I've done well this week. I've performed. You know, it's, you, know you might have gone, oh, I went, to women's prayer, I went to the women's prayer ministry yesterday. Unlike some other people who didn't get there. And you think, man, I'm better. I, I serve sacrificially every week. And I'm in a place of leadership with a title and so you sort of start to smile and you start to think, maybe, maybe God just loves me a little bit more than someone else. Or maybe it's your devotional prayer life. It's, it's you read the Bible every day. And surely then if I'm reading it every day, God must love me more today than yesterday. But the gospel says, no, no, Christ has done it all. See, the gospel doesn't tell us what we must do to please God. It tells us what God has done for you. The gospel tells us God is pleased with you in Christ. 
And that's why the gospel sets us all free. The gospel sets every one of us in this room free because we now no longer have to shine. We no longer have to get on that treadmill and go for it and hope that we might make it. No longer do we have to go and make sure we get all people in all ages on a treadmill of spiritual performance just so they can please God and hope they get somewhere. But what we do is we preach, we preach Christ crucified because when we preach Christ crucified, it humbles all of us and it gives him the glory. We need to care about the glory of God. So may we as a church have a passion to keep the pure gospel pure. May we be a church that doesn't turn to another gospel, but that everything that we do as a church, that every ministry we seek to run, everything that we seek to do is central, that it's centralized and we find our centralness on the gospel. So that that drives everything we do and that we may then find great pleasure in Jesus rather than finding pleasure in ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we want to just thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's a message of what you have done. And so, Father, today, help us to rest in that message. Help us not to move on from it, not to turn from it. There are so many things in this world that can make us feel good, that that is what's making us earn your favor. And yet, Father, your favor is fully upon us because of Jesus. So, Father, help us to believe and to rest in the finished work of Christ today so that we may live for you with pleasure in you and that we may find joy in suffering, happiness in pain because nothing is accounted on what we have to achieve or what we have to do but it's all been done at the cross and it's finished in Jesus. Amen.